0: Uh, I worry. I worry about climate change. And I worry that there is a lot of movement in the right direction. There's a lot of commitment and a lot of uh, understanding growing. But if you look at the time skills that we're working on and what the science says, so the the consensus science, what I take as as, as my guidelines, I don't have uh, my own unique insights on top of that, then time's running out.
1: Hi, listeners. This is Kisa Shreen. We'll be back in the new year with new episodes of the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast. But today we have a special bonus episode for you featuring a conversation with FTSE Russell CEO, Arna Stahl. FTSE Russell is a global index provider and research house and a sister company to Refinitive under the LSEG umbrella. By latest estimates around trillion of capital are benchmarked against their indices. Arna caught up with guest interviewer Jamie McDonald in California about what it will take for sustainable investing to matter at scale, why transparency is key, and his concerns about greenwashing.
2: Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us this afternoon. Of course, and thanks for spending the time with me. The main issue I want to to chat with you about is really around how the world of finance can affect the world of uh, the environment and climate change. Mm. Um, And with the rise of passive investing, our industry is now playing the most important role when it comes to affecting ESG and and issues in and around climate change.
0: Uh, There is so much... That needs to happen through finance to support sustainability uh, and climate uh, goals in particular. Uh, So financial markets have a huge role to play there because this is all about reallocating capital to supporting a transition to a much lower carbon economy globally, not just for individual countries. And that requires capital flows to go to different projects, to different companies by funding new types of projects, climate technology, for example. So some of the solutions that we don't even know about yet, they need to get funded. But also to help existing companies transition. Mm. So to to lower their footprint, to modernize their processes, to re-engineer their business models entirely. And finance has a huge role to play there, both on the capital market side, so raising capital for new projects and raising capital for companies. But also from a a secondary market, from an investment perspective, both from an active and passive stock market perspective, Mm -hmm. bond market perspective, there are huge opportunities to help capital flows drive the the sustainability uh, objectives really. And and passive investing in particular, it's often thought that you need active engagement with companies from a shareholder perspective Mm -hmm. to uh, drive change. Uh, we actually believe that, uh, that indices, both because they underlie very large capital flows, uh, especially in equity markets, but increasingly in fixed income markets as well. Fuji Russell has, by our la- latest estimates, probably around $18 trillion or so benchmarked against it. So huge capital tracking these indices. So, so indices have a key role to play because of that, just because Mm -hmm. capital flows are so tied to them, but also because they have a a function to play as a a clearinghouse for engagement. So, if you imagine, there's lots of individual active investors that all want to engage with the corporate, but they might be saying slightly different things to Mm -hmm. the corporate. Mm -hmm. And the net result might be that you don't actually get the outcome that, uh, that, that the overall economy needs. So through an index, there's a mechanism for collecting all those views uh, and representing them at at scale, at that $18 trillion, Mm. at that huge economic scale. So yes, absolutely.
2: So as demand has picked up for the use of indices, how have FTSE Russell tried to adjust their product offering to try and accommodate this new demand, but also a new demand for
0: ESG? So ESG used to be about scoring individual companies. Uh, Tesla, are you... Are you high ESG or are you low ESG? And the question then is, what question are you answering really? Is it a good green
2: company? Is it a good social company? Mm. Well, let me just ask you there then. Do we need to have a better way of measuring ESG before we can start to score these companies on an ESG? I mean, you mentioned Tesla, but like Facebook and Amazon, like I'm I'm not an expert. I was like, I wouldn't know, are they good ESG or are they bad? Because it's not just about, carbon footprint. It's about diversity mm. and the way they treat their employees and things. The answer to that is
0: transparency. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the answer to that is standardization of data and methodologies. So people start speaking a, a common language. They have a, a common, I think of it as a, as a base of truth. Right. Because currently people are saying similar things, but they might mean entirely different things because they're working with different data sets, different definitions, different methodologies. So, so yes, they're, they're there'll need to be much more standardization. Uh, And our approach is very much uh, what I call open architecture, which Mm -hmm. is to make the methodologies transparent, make the data transparent, but also allow people to bring in new components, new uh, intellectual property. And that is important in ESG and sustainable investing, because For this to matter, it has to matter at scale. Mm -hmm. And for it to matter at scale, uh, people need to be able to uh, work across the landscape and not just with one provider like FTSE Russell, for example.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like the retail investor are trying to do their bit and the finance world, particularly FTSE Russell, are doing their bit by allowing people a, a product which can allow them to be more specific about the companies they invest in. But how about at a at the top level, the political level. And I I know you've just uh, uh, been involved with COP26, so I wonder if you could give some thoughts about what really needs to happen there.
0: Uh, We're we're all somewhat skeptical in our own different ways, and uh, sometimes I think, well, you know, it it will last my time. But as soon as you have children, that perspective changes completely, right? I
2: can concur, I have have one myself. I
0: I worry, (laughs) yes, yes you do. Uh, I worry, I worry about climate change. And I worry that there is a lot of movement in the right direction. Uh, there's a lot of commitment and a lot of uh, understanding growing. But if you look at the time skills that we're working on and what the science says, so the, the, the consensus science, what I take as as, as my guidelines, because I, uh, I don't have uh, my own unique insights on top of that, uh, then time's running out. So COP26 is, is hugely important because it brings together so many different interests at a, at a, at a government level, at a corporate level, mm-hmm. at NGO level, mm-hmm. uh, standard setting levels all these interests coming together and that's needed. Um, but what's also needed is, uh, is urgency. And you see the urgency from the individual contributions and the, the speeches and the commitments, etc. But the overall picture is not yet lining up with a path to um, low carbon economy mm-hmm. that uh, lines up with what the science think needs to happen. So uh- the 1.5 degree scenario that people often speak about from the, the Paris agreements, uh, that is not achievable yet with, with the current commitments and the current net zero targets and the, the what are called um, mm-hmm. the, the National Development Committees. The, those are not lined up yet.
2: So I know that um, Europe is probably a little bit ahead of the US in terms of having a price for carbon, but do you foresee that America will be you know quick to follow in terms of pricing carbon and, and finding a way of uh, uh, you know accelerating the corporate change? Mm. So, so the... Pricing carbon question is is a hugely interesting one because uh, yes
0: there are mechanisms in place in different parts of the world to to look at carbon prices but there is not a global market for pricing carbon mm. yet and to really um, to really start pricing carbon we need uh, we need a market for, for for carbon like we have for global equities um, like we have for other liquid uh, instruments uh, and we're still quite a long way off that. And I think that would be an enormously important development, but we're not there yet.
2: So as we look out over the next three or four years, particularly in the world of uh, active and passive investing and perhaps the rising of of interest rates being another trend that we're we're possibly Mm. going to see, how do you see the world of investing sort of play out on that playing field?
0: The big trends that I see are uh, ESG and sustainable investing driving Mm. change in investment styles. Um, And that is both important to the passive investment world and uh, the active investment world. I think short term that means lots of people trying to adapt processes and Mm. get new data but also re-engineer how systems work for example. If you want to give a a good picture of the carbon footprint of a multi-asset global portfolio that requires a lot of data but also a lot of systems functionality. So so that's a a near term requirement that is driving a lot of changes. On top of that you have the, the, uh, the other big global trends, technology and uh, data, uh, what I call data democratization, mm-hmm. really driving a lot of um, consolidation of capabilities. So even 10 years ago, you could not do what you can today mm-hmm. in terms of technology and trading and seamlessness and uh, the, 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 the low cost of doing a lot of things. So that is changing um, how investing works. The bar in some ways has become lower for, uh, for being able to provide access to markets. That's a big change. And then you have the, uh, the, the big demographic trends and uh, interest rate trends and questions about inflation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And certainly if rates start rising at a persistent pace again, that will completely change investing as, as mm. you know it, as I've known yeah. it. Uh, There's not a lot of people around that have seen other environments than what we're used to
2: For sure, in terms of low rates. And am I right in thinking that um, at FTSE Russell, you also publish research yourself to try and highlight these issues. Can you perhaps talk about that?
0: Yeah, we, we, uh, we're we very active, uh, especially in, in climate again, because uh, ESG, sustainable is a very broad topic and uh, mm. lots of very important dimensions to that. But uh, we touched upon climate and the urgency of that. I see that as one of the, mm-hmm. the, the, the main uh, focus areas there. Uh, and we published a lot of research on that. We've recently published uh, what we call the Net Zero World Atlas. Uh, And it basically gives at a country level uh, what the implied temperature rise is that is implied by the policies and the commitments that individual countries have in place. Mm. So the net zero targets, the nationally determined contributions, um, the current law that they have in place, how that impacts what we think uh, the impact of a country on climate will be. And that's the type of awareness and the type of transparency that I think Investors' need, financial markets need, but more broadly we need as well because there's so much confusion around this topic that mm-hmm. we need clarity and we need insights. Right.
2: So it sounds like the more conferences there are, the more research reports that get pushed out there that just raise awareness, hopefully that's going to start to trigger and continue the momentum.
0: Yes, I think uh, yes, very much so. There's one thing that I worry about that might be a break on the speed at which we move, mm-hmm. and that is the risk of greenwashing. Right. Uh, so the risk of So people, what do you mean by greenwashing? As sustainable investing, ESG climate has become so important that there are lots of commercial opportunities that come with that. I see. So being the first to market with a new climate mm. solution, a new climate fund, a new mm. climate index, a new climate analytics platform, whatever it might be. Right. There's, there's commercial value in that. And what we need to uh, guard against is that we have things that are being sold under a green label or a sustainable label or an ESG label Mm -hmm. that don't quite line up with the impact that people think it might have. And and that is a a risk that I see. And if I can just take a little bit more on that, a little Mm -hmm. bit more time on that. We know that historically ESG investing has been very profitable in equity markets. So ESG investments have done well. And that makes it easy for people to invest in ESG because financial incentives line up with their yeah. their, their principles and their, their objectives. But at some point, and maybe when rates start rising, maybe ESG investments uh, do not have that outperformance effect yeah. anymore. Yeah. And then there will be a trade-off between, well, what is my principle? What is my financial incentive? What is my climate target and belief? And what is my financial incentive? So, so we, we need to be very clear that those are two different things. And uh, it's great if they, they match. Um, but we should also be ready that
2: yeah. we
0: need to stick by our principles, even when it's ne- necessarily a financial consideration.
2: Right. It's interesting because um, I think there are still some very large funds out there that don't have an ESG mandate. And the more that that happens, uh, the more you may get this virtuous, you know, this virtuous circle of companies feeling that they need to be much mm. more ESG aware, and that will lead to the better performance. So hopefully we can get in that groove and, and it will be uh, self-fulfilling, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and this is a bit bit technical, uh, but forgive me. So we get a lot of people asking us, we we run some of the largest benchmark families in the world, so markets that capture the overall investment opportunity in the UK, in the US, in China, different countries, different sectors, et cetera. And the benchmark families tend to be market cap-weighted, so they just represent Mm -hmm. the overall investment opportunity out there in a liquid and transparent way. Increasingly, we're getting the question, why are not all your benchmarking, this is ESG, indices. Interesting. But then there wouldn't be market cap weighted indices anymore, Mm. because currently the companies that are the greenest are not the biggest, to put it in very simple terms. So we'll come full circle when the market cap weighted indices are the ESG indices. Mm
2: -hmm. That's interesting. Well, listen, Anna, thank you so much for chatting with me this afternoon. It's been really interesting. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sustainable investing and the role of ESG in corporate culture was something that was certainly talked about for 10 years, but it didn't really translate into investment opportunities. But now, due to the rise of indices allowing more direct investment into ESG and sustainable themes, capital allocations are accelerating these trends, creating opportunities that are only going to get bigger and more diverse in the future. If you'd like to read more on this topic, please go to footsierussell.com forward slash research where you'll find much more information.
1: We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think of the podcast? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining and see you next time.